Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Good to see you. Those of you who are here in this room, turn to the person next to you, give them a fist bump, an elbow bump, a high five, a hug if you know them. I don't know what we're supposed to do anymore. And then go ahead and grab a seat. Those of you who are part of our global church and you're worshiping with us online, I'm so glad you're here. Drop in the comments, if you would, where you're at. We love to see how God is using this church to reach people literally around the world. Uh, My name is Jarrett. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City, and uh, I want to welcome you. Uh, If you are new around here and you're kind of like, oh, I know what this church is all about, or maybe someone sent you the link, uh, let me just kind of bring you up to speed on, on who we are and what we're all about. We are a local church with a global vision, but a simple mission. We just want to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We think everyone deserves to hear about the love of Jesus and the life that they can have in Jesus. And that is the reason where we do everything we do. And, and one of the reasons we're able to do so much of, of what we do is because of faith-filled folks just like you who give to the mission and the work of this church. It's everyday, ordinary folks, nothing fancy or special about them. They just trust God and have chosen to release a portion, a percentage of their resources to the work of God in their lives in this city and around the world. It's why we're actually able to host our, this summer will be, I think it's our eighth annual summer kids camp, which is coming up this summer. Let's hear it for kids camp. I'm not going to tell you that the nine o'clock did better than you. I'm just going to say that one more time. This is our eighth annual summer kids camp coming up, as well as our student camps that are coming up. But the reason we're able to do that is because, again, of folks saying, no, I, we, we want to help reach people with this love of Jesus. And that's so exciting to us to be able to serve our community in this way, to be able to offer incredible care and, and creativity, kids and families and, and students who might never, ever walk through these doors on a Sunday will be walking through these doors Monday through Friday. How cool is that? And we're able to do that again because of your giving. You are reaching hundreds and hundreds of families here in the city. You're making that possible. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just also want to say for those of you who are parents, maybe that's a small little prompt for you. Uh, Camp is filling up. I just felt like I needed to say that. Camp is filling up. So if you have not signed up yet after this last year, you need those couple hours to yourself with them out of the house. Let us take care of that for you. So camp is filling up. If you want to be a part of, of giving towards things like our summer camps for our kids and for our students or the work that this church is doing here in this community and around the world, uh, three easy ways for you to get in the giving game. You can go online. That's how my wife and I give since the very beginning of this church. Before we even open doors, we set up our giving online. You can do that. The information is up on the screen. You can text in. All that's really going to do is just fast track you to our online stuff, or there's giving kiosks that we have here in the building. If you happen to be here in the building, in our lobbies, there's giving kiosks if you want to give that way. Again, as God is prompting and leading you to do so. Well, we are in week two of a new teaching series called A Bigger Table. We're exploring how God is inviting each and every one of us into a better vision for our lives and for the church by welcoming us to a bigger table that actually reflects his kingdom here on earth. And, and if you missed last week, can I just say, like, you are definitely going to want to go back and watch or listen on our pod, if you would, because it kind of sets up the whole framework for where we are going this month. And it was an amazing, powerful uh, weekend. Well, this weekend, we're actually diving into something that I think is 
sorely lacking in our world today, and sadly, most especially lacking in the church today. It's something that you would assume that we would only get better and better at the older we get, but sadly, somehow, we only seem to be getting worse at this one. It's something that I think is not only a critical life skill, but I think it's a essential life in Christ skill that we all need. And it's basically this. Here's where we're going this weekend in case you might want to jot it down. Uh, How do you disagree without being a, I'll let you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. You choose a word that you want to put in there. Uh, Some of you are going to choose less churchy words than others. All I ask is that you don't say it out loud right now. Just don't say it out loud or don't type it in all caps in the comment section right now. Uh, My word is meanie. I don't know what you're thinking of. Um, But how do you disagree without being, uh, well, you know what? How how do you disagree without demeaning each other? How do we disagree without dehumanizing each other? How do we disagree without demonizing the other side? How do we disagree without destroying a relationship? Just quick check of hands. Anyone ever gotten into a heated conversation about something you disagree with, either theologically, politically, within your family alone? Raise your hand. Okay, that's why we're talking about it this weekend. Because we've all had those moments and we've all had those uh, maybe even relationships burned or damaged at the very least, because we just couldn't find a way to disagree in love. And if I'm gonna be really honest about this, I just, we're like, we're terrible at this. We we are just, and especially, can I be like really, really honest? Especially religious people. We're literally the worst at this. And if you don't believe, we're like, no, not me. Just ask any of your non-religious friends. They will tell you (laughs) that religious people are the worst at this one. I remember earlier in this year, it was just after, I think it was shortly, within a couple weeks or a month after my dad had died, and I had posted something online, uh, I think it was around um, AAPI hate and how we stand with our Asian American Pacific Islander brothers and sisters, how they make our church and our lives better. I'd, you know, written some post, and I'd put it up, put it up and, and, and as always, you know, people like, yes, yes, I agree, or that's awesome, you know, kind of like people do online. But then there was also people who didn't agree. And uh, there's some people who like to do that in the comments, but the really fun ones like to send them to me as DMs. And I got several DMs, you know, that just basically, I remember one of them specifically, and it was one of those like multi-screen, like you had to keep swiping like to get through it. Like, oh, you created this in a Word doc and then put it in my DMs. Like there was an editor involved. This is lengthy. And they just went through and, and told me, you know, and used verses to say how wrong I was and how I'm actually causing more division by calling this out. And they had different verses and how even at one point it used the language of like, I don't know how you could call yourself a Christian, let alone a pastor, and they kind of put all these things, you know, and I'm kind of used to that, right? It's not, not a big deal, kind of goes with the territory, but this is what I will, I'll never forget. After that long sort of diatribe, the very last line was, and I'm so sorry to hear about your father. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, thank you so much for that. Clearly, this person disagreed with me. I have no problem with that. That's totally fine with me, but when you slide into my DMs to put me on blast, and then you slide in a 99-cent sympathy card at the end of that, bold move. That's all I'm going to say about that. That is a bold move, right? We are just terrible. We're just, let's be honest, we're not good at this. How to disagree or how to kind of hold our convictions without holding it against someone else. So that's what we're going to go after this weekend. What do you do when you disagree with someone? Especially what we're going to be talking mostly about is around things of faith. But I think this could apply to just about anything 
any conversation, any relationship where you disagree. How do you do that? How do you disagree with, um, here's a word that I, I think is sorely lacking in our culture in this moment. How do you disagree with dignity? How do you disagree with dignity? And how do you even know what is worth disagreeing about? Because here's the deal. We looked at this last week. And again, if you missed it, you're going to want to catch up. Here's the deal. The bigger your table gets, that means the more people that come to your table, the more it's going to be filled with people who don't see things the way you do, who don't vote the way that you do, who don't look like you, who don't love like you, who aren't like you. And as we said last week, that is the point. That's the point of a bigger table. So how do you handle the the disagreements or the misalignments that will inevitably pop up? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 14. So if you have a Bible with you, awesome. If you're here in our West Loop location, our local church here, there should be a Bible right under your seat. So you really have no excuse not to grab one. So grab one. And in our Bibles here at Soul City, it's on page 921. That'll help fast track you there, page 921. But maybe open up a tab. If you're part of our global church, you just open up another tab to Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at how do we do this thing well, especially within the context of faith communities or the church like this. Now, in Romans chapter 14, Paul is speaking to a common phenomenon in the early church, and I would say in every church. He's speaking to division. Uh, This vision that God had given shortly after God had given it already had division within it in the early church. As the table got bigger and bigger, people began to bicker and bicker and fight and form factions of who's in and who's out. We talked about this last week, us and them kind of doing that. It just, it did not take long for us to get there. So Paul just speaks right to that part of us that will, let's be honest, like always inevitably do the same. Now, the particular disputes that Paul is addressing here in Romans 14 were uh, between followers of Jesus who were like newly formed followers of Jesus, but were, were still holding on to old Jewish customs. We talked about that last week, that this, you know, the, the first church was largely, if not exclusively, Jewish converts to this way of Jesus. And so for a lot of them, they were still kind of holding on to those old traditions, those old familiar things, specifically around food and what to eat. We even looked at that specifically last week, food and what to eat, or observing uh, Jewish holidays. And so there was these divisions because some people are like, no, we are free in Christ. We don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. And some people are like, well, but I kind of like it. And so they were kind of holding on to it and they were, ended up fighting and there was division in the church. And so Paul goes after these two specific things, but gives us, I believe, a framework for much more in our lives. Romans 14, one says this, it says, accept the one that means welcome, accept, honor the one whose faith is weak. Now just kind of circle that or underline that we're going to get back to what that word weak means. Cause it's not what maybe you think it means. Uh, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling, Uh, over disputable matters, without fighting, without disagreeing over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. There's the food thing again. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Goes on to say this, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. God has welcomed them. God has accepted them. So we are to accept each other. Now, a couple things coming out of these verses right at the top of Romans chapter 14. Paul used that word weak. Did you see it apply there? He used it twice there. You know, when we think of weak, we think of like, you know, like lame, you know, or like less than. That's not the best translation from the original language. Maybe a better word might have been forming, the person whose faith is forming. 
or the person whose faith is, to use a word we use around here, transforming, for someone who's still working this thing out. So what Paul is doing here, he's not like giving them a diss, he's just displaying grace. He's saying that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to actually display grace to people who are working out. And here's the deal. All of us are always working out what this means to follow God and to live our lives with God in real time, in the real world. And what Paul is, is basically saying here, and you can kind of sum up everything we're going to read over the next couple of verses. Basically what Paul is saying here is stop majoring on the minors. That's a very theological phrase. Stop majoring on the minor. Stop making a big deal about small things. So someone likes to hold on to old traditions or a different interpretation than you. So what? So what? Just because it's, listen, just because you see it different from them doesn't make you better than them. Does that make sense? Just because you see it different from them doesn't make you better than them. And he just kind of keeps unpacking this. Jump down to verse five. He says this. He says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Remember, we're talking about the Jewish holidays. Maybe you grew up in a church where you followed the Christian calendar and there's different holidays and feasts and things you honor. So that's kind of the same thing. He says, another person considers every day alike, that they're all spiritual. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind that they've come to that conclusion themselves. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. I'm doing this to honor God. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. Now, you get the idea of what he's doing here. There's some folks who are going to think certain days are holy. Other folks who are going to think every day is holy. And again, Paul basically could sum it all up by saying, so what? So what is that to you? Paul's point is that when someone has sincerely sought God, has, has studied or wrestled with the Bible, has come to their own convictions, their own interpretation, their own opinion, then so what is that to you? What really is that to you? The table is big. And there's lots of room for us to see things differently. So what do you do when you come to a point where you're like, well, I don't see that the same way as you. I have a different interpretation of that than you. Or I kinda, we, I'm, we're coming from two different sides. What do you do when someone does it different than you? Well, Paul answers that. Verse 13, I'm going to have you shout out uh, here in a little bit, so I just want you to be ready. He says, therefore, let us stop passing. What's the next word? Let us stop passing. Okay, so like some of y'all need to circle that one, underline that one. This is not for you to send to a friend. This is just for you right now, okay? Okay? Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Let's just stop. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. You get that? You get what Paul's getting at here? You see how we're supposed to treat each other? So I'm going to say it again because Paul said it so well. I'm just going to try and say it again, maybe for the folks in the balcony. Here's all that Paul's saying. Stop judging others. Okay, so that's, you got, okay, there's some folks I think that hang out in comment sections that need to hear this. Stop judging others. That's what Paul's saying. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop judging others. It's not your job to judge. 
And, I, and I'm, I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, that's not maybe where your heart is starting from, where you come to, but that's always where it ends up. And I know lots of times when we're correcting someone or we're trying to help them see things, you know, either in person or online, a DM or whatever it may be. Like, I know lots of times, especially around things of faith and for religious folks, I know what we think. I know I think I'm helping God, but if I'm being really honest, I'm not helping God. I'm just hurting people. I know I can convince myself, no, no, I'm helping God. I'm preserving the faith. No, I'm not. I'm just hurting people who don't see things the way that I do. And let's just be honest. That's really what this is all about, is all I'm really trying to do is to get you to see, to think, to act, just like I do. That's, that's all we're really trying to do. We want others to just be just like me. If everyone was just like me, we'd all get along great. That's not how the table works. Paul goes on. Verse 14, he says this. He kind of reveals where he's at in this issue. Look, he's like, I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean in and of itself. He's like, that's where I fall on this hot topic of food that's clean and unclean. I just, I don't think anything's unclean. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is actually unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed, they're all worked up because of what you eat, then you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, your convictions, your way of seeing things, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Maybe another way of, of saying it is this. If your way of seeing things is keeping other people from seeing Jesus, you might be doing it wrong. I know, I know like we like to hold these things real tight and, oh, this is how I was raised or this is what I've got. Or why can't you get here? I just got here last month, but why aren't you here? Like, you know. If your way of seeing things is keeping people from seeing Jesus, from seeing Jesus in you, you might be, you might be doing it wrong. Maybe another way of saying it might be this. If you're more committed to being right than to being loving, you're wrong. I mean, that's a little, oof, I'm gonna let that one simmer for a minute. But this is true, not just again about things of faith, about any disagreement, argument, person you're putting on blast, person you're judging when you see him on the news. If you're more committed to being right than to being loving, you're wrong. It's, it's just, it doesn't matter how strong your argument is. You're missing the point. Don't get me wrong. You should have your opinions. Each of us should have our opinions. You should have your perspectives. You should have your convictions. They matter. We need it. We need you to hold it, help us see things in a different light, in a different way. But when you're committed, more committed, when I'm more committed to my perspective than I am to people, I'm missing the point. When I'm more locked in on my perspective than I am loving people, I, I think I'm missing the whole point of what Jesus came to do, the life he came to give us. Paul wraps up this section, verse 19, says this, therefore, let's make every effort to do what leads to, what's that next word? To do what leads to, he doesn't say to winning the argument, does he? He doesn't say to proving your point, does he? He doesn't say like to show them where they're wrong. No. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual, everyone say that last word, to mutual Edification. If there ain't a more churchy word than edification, I don't know what it is. <laughs> y'all, some of y'all need to be edified this morning, right? What does edification even mean? Who even uses that in every like daily life? What edification means is to build up. So Paul is saying, here's what we're going to be about. We're going to be about everything that we do leading to peace 
and the mutual building up of each other. I build you up, you build me up. I build you up, you build me up. We are better when the table is bigger. That is the challenge for each of us to really wrestle with and consider. Are your words, are your actions, are your convictions leading to more peace, lifting others up? Is your table getting bigger or is it getting smaller? Is it possible for you to actually hold your convictions while simultaneously holding space for people with different convictions? Is there room enough at the table for you to hold your convictions while holding space for people who may have different convictions than you do? Think of it this way. I want you to think of the last time you went to someone's house for like a nice meal, like I want you to think about the last time you went over to someone's house and they made a, a nice meal. Maybe there's a couple, you know, of you that were invited. I know, I know it's been like a year and a half, but I want you to think back like, like a Thanksgiving. When's the last time you like gathered around a table with a lot of people at a nice meal? Maybe it was Christmas for you, or maybe there was some kind of special occasion, a graduation recently. I want you to think about the last time you were gathered around the table for like a real meal. You know what I'm talking about? Like a real meal. And Jeannie is amazed. Jeannie has one of the greatest gifts of hospitality of anyone I've ever met in my life. I benefit greatly from it. Um, and so she loves to, to set the table. She loves to kind of have the whole thing set. Now, there's no doubt when you go to someone's house and you, you're there for this nice meal and you come into the table, there's, there's no doubt that there's going to be a main course, right? There's going to be a main course, and then there's probably going to be what kind of on the sides. There's going to be sides, right? You're going to have a main course, and then you're actually going to have your sides. And I'm talking about a real meal. I'm not talking about just some like charcuterie board, you know, where you just kind of pass around sliced cheese. No, I'm talking about a meal where you actually have to use a fork and a knife. That's the kind of meal I'm actually talking about here. So at those kind of meals, you're always going to have sort of a main dish or a main course. And then typically that main dish or that main course is going to be at the center of the table, right? That's where we like to put it. It's kind of the centerpiece. It's like, da-da! Like, that's, like, this is the main event, right? Main course kind of goes at the center. And what Paul is saying here in Romans 14 is that there is a main course to the Christian faith. There's a main course to the Christian faith. There are things that are central and essential to it. And then there are sides. And these things are not central and not essential. It doesn't mean that they don't matter. It doesn't mean that they're not important. It just means that they're a part of it, but not the point of it. Does that make sense? And the crazy thing is that what I've found is so often what people, especially people of faith, get into fights over, what people of faith end up getting up and storming off and leaving the table over, what people of faith tend to kick other people out of the table over is never the main course. It's always the sides. It's never the main course. It's always the sides. No one's fighting over the turkey. What they're fighting over is the fact that there's no mashed potatoes. I'm sorry. How am I supposed to eat turkey when there's no mashed potatoes? I cannot believe that you don't have mashed potatoes at your table. People get all worked up. I can't believe that this, you're going to serve rolls? Wow. Rolls? Wow. I grew up, I mean, at my table growing up, we had croissants. Uncultured, uncouth. What are we, what are we at KFC? Stop it. Well, but this isn't the way my mama did greens. My mama did greens different than this. I don't know how, where you figured this out. You just poured this out of a can. This is where we get all worked up. 
Or something's not at the table that matters to us, something that we really love and we would serve at our table, but it's not at this table. And so we get all worked up. I can't believe you don't have any cauliflower. Why is there no cauliflower at the table? Everyone knows cauliflower is the coolest vegetable right now. Why is there no cauliflower at the table? This is what ends up happening is we, we don't fight over the main course typically. We get all caught up and all worked up over the sides. That's what Paul was getting at. Now, some of y'all know that I uh, grew up in church and around church. That's part of my story. Maybe that's part of your story. Maybe it's, it's not. I grew up in and around church. And I, in fact, I added it up. I've been a part of five churches in my whole life. Uh, one of which, fun fact, I started. Uh, so five churches in uh, my life. And of those five churches that I've been at, I've walked through or been a part of Not one, not two, but three church splits. Now, for some of y'all who aren't like religious people, like, what does that mean? Uh, It happens often. In fact, in some denominations, it's a growth strategy. Um, What happens in a church split is there's enough people kind of get together, and they don't like something about the church. They don't like something about the pastor, the preaching, or or whatever it is, they don't like the direction of the church, and so they get a critical mass, and then they all take off and go start and form their own church. They build their own table, and sometimes for good reasons, right? Because it's maybe something the pastor did, you know, and you're like, and I'm out. Like, you just can't be a part of that anymore. But lots of times, in at least the the three that I walked through, um, it was a group of people who just didn't like the church or didn't like the pastor, didn't like where it was going, and so they got enough people, and they they also, and they were very, in each of those three, very public about it. Very public about it. In fact, the one, one of the ones, the, the last one that I walked through that I remember, um, one of the reasons that they had listed, they met with the leadership of the church, that they had listed of why they were leaving the church is because they didn't, they, they didn't believe there should be drama in the church. Now, some of you would hear that and go, yeah, I'm trying to like have no drama in my life. Like that, of course. No, what they meant specifically was what me and a group of about five of my friends were doing. We, had, we would do like kind of like skits or sketches every Sunday on stage. And some of them were funny. Some of them were dramatic. All of them were awesome as far as I'm concerned. And that was like a part of our, it was like, hey, don't worry about it. It was in the 90s. It was a thing. It made sense. And we would do that. That was one of the reasons they were leaving the church because they didn't think that we should be doing that on stage on a Sunday. Again, here's the deal. With all of these splits, so often, so often, not always, but so often, it's not because people stop believing in Jesus. It's not because they don't believe in the power of grace anymore. It's not because they stop believing in the Bible. It is almost always because of the sides, of the sides, never the main course. And what happens is we get so worked up that we just think that the sides are the main course. And as much as I hate to do it and disagree with my queen, Miss Lauren Hill, everything is not everything. (laughs) Everything is not everything. Not everything is the main course. There's lots of room at the table for lots of sides. Not everything about this great mystery of the Christian faith is essential. Not all of it, that's actually good news. Not all of it is essential. Some things are non-essential. Again, that doesn't mean that they're not important. They're just not essential. Does that make sense to a, not essential to a thriving or transforming relationship with Jesus? This, this wrestling with this tension in us and what religious people can do if left to ourselves led someone to say hundreds of years ago 
I kind of broke it down and said, in the essentials, in things that are essential, we're going to pursue unity. In the non-essentials, there's liberty, freedom. But in all things, charity. Now again, while it's unclear who actually coined this phrase, their point is very clear. That in the essentials, those things that are central, are the main course of the Christian faith, we will always ultimately pursue unity. We will align around these things that are essential. And in the things that are non-essential, that would be the sides, there's liberty. What does liberty mean? It means freedom, options. You can kind of get to sort of where you're at. There's lots of freedom in that. Those are the sides. And then in all things, charity. In all things, charity, which means kindness, love, compassion, curiosity, and what Paul said, peace. That's the table. That's the point of the table. Does that make sense? There's actually, there's, there's a difference between things that are essential and non-essential. There's just a difference between those things when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus. Now, come on, some of you already know this, right? You know kind of how that framework works. For those of us who are in a season, maybe you're dating right now, right? So you're, you're dating, you're kind of out there, you're on the market, you're on the scene, right? You're checking it out. You probably have your list of non-negotiables for the person you're looking to partner with and your negotiables, things you don't care, right? Is that true? That you have your non-negotiables? Nope, nope, they got that. This is a non-negotiable for me. And then you have your list of negotiables. And then depending on how this season of dating is going for you, maybe you're negotiating some of your non-negotiables to become negotiable. That's between you and God. But you understand what I'm saying, right? You understand? Or if you're looking for a job, right? You probably have some things you're like, okay, I'm looking for a job. Uh, These things are critical. I want to work in a place like this. I want to have work that does this in the world. Then you have things that are non-critical. Maybe you don't care where the office is at or you don't care how large it is. We all kind of have those sort of frameworks for things, essential and non-essential, main course and sides. And so what I thought it would be fun to do just for the next couple minutes is just walk briefly, very briefly, through the difference between those things that are essential at the center of the table and then those things that are non-essential that surround the table when it comes to this Christian faith. Now, I'm not going to be able to cover everything, but what I wanted to share with you is what we believe as a church is essential. And where we're aligned as a church around what is essential to having a transforming relationship with Jesus. So uh, you might want to jot these down or screenshot these. These are the things that we believe are essential. And some of you are like, oh, I'm so glad they're finally saying this. It's been on our website for a couple years, but we're so glad you're here. (laughs) We're so glad you're here. All right. So essential, obviously Jesus, hard to have a transforming relationship with Jesus without Jesus. So we believe that Jesus is essential. We believe that God is essential. These things are not up for debate for us right? That God is the creator, sustainer of all things. We believe that it is essential that we know and have a relationship with Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit guides and guards and protects and prompts and encourages and challenges our lives. We actually believe that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit exist together in three distinct persons, but interdependently through something called the Trinity. We've taught about that. We've talked about that. We actually believe the Bible. We believe that it's the inspired word of God. It is hard to know God, have a relationship relationship with God without the Bible. We believe that it is essential. Now, what you do with the Bible, how you interpret things within the Bible, lots of liberty there. But what's non-negotiable for us is that the Bible, like the Bible is a part of what it means to have this transforming life. It plays a critical and important role. And it's not just that. We believe that grace is essential. That this, the salvation and a transformed relationship with Jesus does not come through what you do, but what God has done for you. 
Transformation. We believe that grace and growth are inseparably linked. Another word for transformation is spiritual growth, that we partner with the Holy Spirit for our spiritual growth. We, we believe people. We don't just believe in people. Like, you just look around, you can, it's easy to believe in people. But we believe people are created in God's image. Every, in fact, we believe every single person. There's not a person you will make eye contact with today that is not created in the divine image of God. Every person an image bearer of God. And every person unconditionally loved by God, no more, no less than you. That's, we just believe that's kind of fundamental. And we believe the church is essential. Now, lots of different expressions, lots of freedom in how people express church, but we just believe from what we've seen through the Bible, studying the Bible, listening to the Holy Spirit, that church is essential. And I just want to say a quick word. I know for a lot of us, coming back to church, whatever that means, has been a challenge. We're kind of having to restart some engines we haven't fired up for over a year and a half. I get it. I totally get it. I would just say to you, it is essential. Some gathering together of the body of Christ to do the work of Christ in this world is essential in a relationship with Jesus. We believe that's non-negotiable. Now, those are the essentials. That's the main course. These things are not up for debate. They are not a place for division within our church. And to be clear, there's lots of different ways of holding and interpreting each of those within there. Just like there's lots of different things. Like there's lots of different ways for you to cook a turkey. Some of y'all spend hours. Some of y'all just do deep fry it in five minutes. Lots of different ways to slice a turkey. Lots of different ways to present a turkey. But it's still the turkey. Does that make sense? It's still essential. We believe that these things are essential, and for the things that are essential, we will always pursue unity. We will align around these things. We can be from completely different parts of the world, completely different lifestyles, have nothing else in common, but these things unite us. We come together around these things. Those are essential. Now, there's also non-essential things, and there's lots of them, far too many for me to go through, in our time together today. Uh, the, you can look at several of them up there. This is just, no, this is just, I, I just did one screenshot of this, right? So you can see like kind of how people set up or structure church or practices of the church. I remember a big one for me, what, it, it was end times, a lot of different debates about the book of Revelation when I was growing up. Uh, marriage and dating, there's lots of room for here. You know, the, do you know that in the Bible, you will be hard pressed to find a healthy marriage throughout the entire Bible. Plenty of people married, very few healthy marriages. And isn't it interesting that Jesus himself never married? If Jesus never married, how can it be essential? Okay, so we're gonna, we have lots, and also dating, I would throw it in there. People have made millions of dollars by selling Christian dating books. Here's how Jesus would date and stuff like that. <laughs> Just real quick, hate to burst that bubble. There's no dating in the Bible. God bless the creativity of those people. I wish I had thought of that. Uh, the Bachelor, this is one that we can have a lot of debate over. Um, some would say that it is actually essential. Uh, moving on, uh, different ways, denominations, political convictions, that's another one. Just about every person who's passionate about their political conviction believes that God would vote the way that they do. And again, we say, well, this is how Jesus would vote. Jesus never voted. It wasn't voting, it was emperor. It was kings, you didn't vote. And we're so, but we're so convinced. Well, there's a lot of liberty there. In our political convictions, tattoos, specifically bad tattoos, a lot of, lot, lots of room. These are non-essentials, and there are plenty more to be sure. There's lots of different ways for us to hold each of these and more, all of these. 
And while they are important, we would say that they're important. They are important. I'm not making light. Like, they are important. They're not essential. We can be a totally different place with those and still sit right next to each other at the table, gathered around what is essential, which we just walked through. We can see things completely differently and yet still be able to see each other as image bearers of Christ. And hopefully for those things that are non-essential that we just kind of walked through, hopefully you hold those things openly. Like for me personally, there are several on that list that what I believe today about them, I did not believe 10 years ago. As I've studied and I've wrestled with God, talked with others, I am in a completely different place than where I was 10 years ago. And my hope is I'm in a different place 10 years from now. That, that God's continuing to do the transforming work. That I just keep turning that gem and seeing it from a different side, a different perspective. Maybe there's something I wasn't ready for before. Maybe there's something I didn't see before. Maybe I was still too blinded or clouded by tradition or the way that I was raised. So my hope is you'd hold these things openly, that you would seek God to come to the conviction that you have, that you would have the Bible as a source, as a guide to get there, your own experience to inform where you're at on that, and spiritual conversations with lots of different people who don't see things the way you do. It's important not just where you get to, but how you get there. Think of it, I want you to think of it this way. When it comes to this idea of things that are essential and things that are non-essential, just think of it this way. The essentials are what make you uniquely a Jesus follower, right? As opposed to any other faith system, any other way of sort of, you know, any faith belief system. These essentials are what make you uniquely a Jesus follower. The non-essentials are what make you a unique Jesus follower. So these say, the essentials, yep, I'm a Jesus follower. This is kind of where my faith is in this. But the non-essentials make me a unique Jesus follower. I might be different from you. We might have, but we're still rallied around, unified around that which is essential. And I just want to be really clear with this, then we're going to wrap up and, and be done. I just want to be really clear about this. Well, our church is is committed as best we can. We're committed to studying God's word, to listening to and following the Holy Spirit's lead, to teaching clearly and consistently on the essentials. I want to be really clear. We will not allow non-essentials to cause division within our church. We're not interested in it. We're just not interested. And again, for some of you, some of those non-essentials, you may go, that's essential for me. Awesome. No, hear me. Thank God that that is essential to you that that's critical and important to you. We're just not going to do that thing where we end up fighting and dividing over non-essentials. I'm so glad that that's so important to you. It may not be that important to me, or I may see it differently than you. But we're not going to allow non-essentials to cause division within our church. We warmly welcome into our beautiful, in this beautiful, broken body, those who have different interpretations of the non essential doctrines and theologies, but we will not allow those of a different opinion or interpretation to fracture the delicate and divine unity of the church. We're not playing that game. We celebrate diversity. We're better when the table is bigger. We celebrate diversity, ethnic diversity, political diversity, social conviction, sexual orientation, theological. We're actually better with that diversity. We're better because of it when the table is bigger. It's what makes our lives, it's what makes this church better. And we will ultimately always pursue unity. In our church, at least in my life, while Gene and I are here as the lead pastors, we're going to pursue unity at all costs. 
as best we can. And we want to encourage anyone and everyone to listen in love and learn from others who might differ from you, who might see things differently than you, who might disagree with you, who might discern and and dissect the Bible differently than you. And when we do disagree, because we will disagree, we do so in love. We do so in love because we believe that when we actually do that, we become better and we have something better to offer this divisive and divided world. So what does it mean for you? What does, that, what does all that mean for me? What does all that mean for you? Here's basically, you can sum it all up by saying this, is that I don't have to hold your values to hold your value. Doesn't that feel liberating? I don't have to, like, I'm not trying to create a world where everyone sees things exactly the same as me. I don't have to hold your values to hold your value, that you matter to me, even if you see things differently, even if we have different convictions on this, that, or the other. I don't have to see everything the way that you do to see God in you, to see that reflection of God in you, to love you. God's vision for the church and for our lives is for a bigger table. That means that we will discern, we will dissect the Bible differently, that we'll come to different convictions, but ultimately we will always pursue unity, even with those that we might disagree with over non-essential sides. Listen, you, you can be for everyone without having to be for everything. And I know sometimes if you can feel the pressure, oh man, I have to make sure I say this right. I got to make sure I post this right. I got to... You, don't, you can be for everyone without having to be for everything that they're for. There's so much liberty in that. Imagine what your life would be like. Imagine what your life would be like if you didn't have to carry around that supposed weight or burden of having to fix and correct everyone. Imagine how much more free that would feel if you fired yourself from that job. Imagine how it would feel when you're scrolling through online. Oh man, imagine how free it would feel to go, oh, I get it. I, I, I disagree, but I, I can see where they're coming from. Imagine how free that would feel. Imagine how much more time you would have. How much more peace you would have. Imagine what would happen when everyone else is playing that game. You are coming at it from a wholly different perspective. You're asking questions out of curiosity. You're showing compassion rather than shutting people down or shutting them out, you open up. Help me understand. Tell me more. How did you get there? How is God leading you? Imagine how much better the church would be. How we might actually have something to offer this world than just more of the same. Imagine what it might be like to sit, to find your seat at a bigger table to be shoulder to shoulder, like we talked about last week, shoulder to shoulder with someone you may not see eye to eye with, but you see the image of Christ in them. I believe this is one of the greatest shots that we've got to show a divided and divisive world that there is a better way. And it starts with me and it starts with you. And we're gonna need Holy Spirit's help to get there. So what I want you to do is to stand and I wanna pray for you. And we're gonna take a posture of prayer that we like to take around here, but we're gonna mix it up a little bit, a little remix. We like to pray with our hands open. So if you're new around here, you're praying with us online. Even right now, if you're in our global church, you can just open your hands up to pray. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a fist with one. 
And what that represents is you're holding tight to those things that are essential. So can you just make a fist with one like, no, I'm going to hold even tighter to those things that are essential. And then the open hand is, I'm going to hold those things that are non-essential looser, more loosely, more open, more curious, more compassionate. So God, that's our prayer. That's our hope. Holy Spirit, we need your help to do so. Would you help us to experience the unity that comes from aligning our lives around that which is essential? And would you open our lives up to see more, to experience more, to grow, to transform, to express and extend more love and peace, compassion, curiosity to others for those things which are non-essential? Forgive, forgive your church, Jesus, forgive your church. Forgive this church, forgive your church, forgive me for all the times I thought I was helping you, but all I was doing was hurting others. Oh, we need your grace. We need your forgiveness. We need a fresh wind to wash over our lives and over this world. Your Holy Spirit poured out in us and then poured out through us. Thank you that there is another way, a better way, a bigger table. And so it's in your name that we pray and sing. Amen.